Tēnā my name is Will Appleby, and this is Animal Matters. On today's show, a bad couple of weeks for the dairy industry, we cover some of the latest current affairs, including the light sentencing of animal abuser Mike Luke, as well as a dairy industry award winner who was stripped of his title due to profane and disrespectful tweets. We also chat with Sean Bishop from the Animal Sanctuary about the work that she does rescuing animals. Animal Matters is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation. We're here to open up for discussion the key issues facing animals. We'll go beyond the news cycle and dive into some of the complexities that surrounds the exploitation of animals. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron by heading to patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Pledges start at five New Zealand dollars a month. Patrons can unlock bonus content and get early access to new episodes before they're released. Your support will help us to expand the show and talk about more topics in greater depth. The last two weeks haven't been great for the dairy industry. There's two stories I want to cover today, neither of them are pleasant. But there's also some good news, more on that later on. In the previous episode, I touched briefly on the case of Mike Luke, a Northland shear milker who was caught on camera bashing his cows with a metal pipe. He was sentenced on Monday, July 6, and the outcome is pretty disappointing. Some background first, though. Back in 2018, Melanie Reed and Farrah Hancock at Newsroom broke the story of the animal abuse perpetrated by Mike Luke. This had been going on for some time, and despite the best efforts of farm workers, it was never addressed. Farm workers who witnessed the abuse raised it with the farm owner, who did nothing. They then alerted the Ministry for Primary Industries. They also didn't do anything, which won't come as a surprise for many listeners of this show. MPI visited the farm, spoke to Mike Luke, and came to the conclusion that there was nothing that could be done without further evidence, and they closed their investigation. In Newsroom's 2018 article, one of the farm workers was quoted as saying, We went through the right channels. We went to the owner first. Nothing was done. We went to MPI. Nothing was done. We didn't want to leave it. So, they contacted Farmwatch who installed hidden cameras in the milking shed and gathered the evidence that proved what the farm workers had been saying all along. Mike Luke was repeatedly beating his cows with steel and alkathene objects. Armed with the evidence they supposedly needed, MPI pressed charges. Mike Luke faced six charges relating to the ill treatment of animals under the Animal Welfare Act. The maximum penalty for such charges are five years imprisonment, and fines up to $100,000 for individuals and $500,000 for companies. So this should be an open and shut case. This is the point where I should be telling you that Mike Luke was sentenced under all six charges. The truth is, Mike Luke was sentenced under only one charge. The other five were dropped. He was ordered to pay a fine of $3,000, and court costs of $130. How did this happen? Well, the hidden camera footage gathered by Farmwatch was thrown out. The judge ruled that allowing the hidden camera footage captured by volunteer investigators could encourage deliberate flouting of the law, 
So Luke was convicted on the one charge that didn't rely on evidence supplied by Farmwatch. It's a slap on the wrist and shows a failed system to protect animals. Interestingly, MPI never appealed the judge's decision to throw out Farmwatch's footage. So to recap, farm workers repeatedly witnessed Mike Luke beat his cows. They complained to the farm owner, who did nothing. They complained to MPI, who barely scratched the surface in their investigation, and ultimately did nothing because of a lack of evidence. The farm workers took it to Farmwatch, who went in and got the evidence that MPI said they needed. MPI pressed charges, five of which were dropped because the video evidence was obtained illegally, and MPI chose not to appeal the decision. The system has completely failed these animals. Mike Luke hasn't been held to account, and there's nothing stopping him from working with animals in the future. He's probably back on the farm right now. I should also add, the decision not to allow admission of that footage could set a precedent for future cases. Farmwatch have said themselves they'd much rather that MPI did their job properly so they don't have to go investigate themselves. It's due to MPI's failings as the ministry responsible for enforcing animal welfare on farms that Farmwatch even needs to break the law to gather evidence of animal cruelty. To add insult to injury, in their media release following the sentencing, MPI encouraged people to contact them whenever they witness animal cruelty. But after all of these failings, can they really be trusted? The light sentencing also came as a surprise to the dairy industry. It's not often that safe and federated farmers see eye to eye on just about anything. But the Agriculture Lobby Group's dairy chairman said the size of the fine was surprising, considering these types of cases don't emerge often. What's not surprising is that the feds would side with safe in this case, Considering it's not a great look for their industry, the dairy industry have been pouring massive resources into improving their image, but questions remain if they're improving what happens on their farms. One part of the dairy industry's public relations arsenal is the various award ceremonies. Two weeks ago, the New Zealand Dairy Industry Awards dished out tens of thousands of dollars worth of prizes to various farmers across the country. This year's awards were streamed online and included an introduction from the Prime Minister. These are high-profile awards, with partners and sponsors that include Dairy NZ, Westpac, Fonterra, Federated Farmers, Honda, Meridian, the list goes on. One of the award recipients was a share farmer named Nick Bertram, who took out the share farmer of the year. Shortly following the awards announcements, a series of tweets that Bertram posted in 2017 emerged, which were laden with profanity and described the cruel and illegal methods he supposedly used to handle his cars. These tweets had caused a bit of controversy at the time on Twitter, but didn't amount to much. But now having just received the award, Bertram was under fire. The lack of scrutiny of Bertrand's the lack of scrutiny of Bertrand's background really calls into question the merit of the title. Is this really the kind of person the dairy industry wants to hold up as an example of excellence? Safe called on the New Zealand Dairy Industry Awards to remove Bertram of his title. He promptly issued an apology. Although when I say apology, I mean an apology for the offence he had caused, rather than an apology for his actual wrongdoing. After an initially weak statement that they weren't aware of Bertram's historic tweets, and that they take their award selections seriously, 
The Dairy Industry Awards eventually announced that they would revoke Bertram's title. It's also undertaking a review of its procedures, processes and entry criteria. SAFE understands they've appointed a QC for this review. Bertram isn't going down without a fight though, and he's taking the Dairy Industry Awards down with him. In a statement following the news that his award had been stripped of him, Bertram alleges he's become a victim of cancel culture, that the Dairy Industry Awards knew about his tweets from 2017, but was allowed to progress regardless. On the issue of cancel culture, that's the classic response from someone who doesn't want to take responsibility for their actions when they're held to account. But I digress. Bertram is supposed to be an industry leader, and this was an opportunity to show some leadership. I won't go into details of the tweet, but one in particular described an illegal technique to stimulate a car to let down their milk. It's illegal, but rumour has it it's still widespread on New Zealand farms. Nobody's gone on the record to state that though, so I should mention that's speculation. Bertram could have taken the opportunity to demonstrate that he takes animal welfare seriously. Instead, he apologised for the offence he had caused and stated that he had previously taken social media training. He made no mention of his disrespectful attitudes towards animals. The reality is, though, the bar for animal welfare in New Zealand's dairy industry has been set seriously low. We've discussed two examples in this very episode, one where someone got a slap on the wrist for animal cruelty, the other where someone was given an award. The whole sector needs to ensure that the highest standards of welfare are upheld on their farms. Otherwise, the industry will continue to be plagued by PR disasters like these. Okay, I promised a good news story, didn't I? Well, recently SAFE assisted Sean Bishop with the rehoming of three cows that had been sent to a sales yard to then be sold for slaughter. Sean runs an animal sanctuary, which two years ago adopted out these cows to their forever home. An agreement was made that they should never be sent to the slaughter, but that agreement was broken. Thankfully, Sean found these cows, and she's here with us now to share with us the story. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Um, so you run a sanctuary, an animal sanctuary, called the Animal Sanctuary in, in New Zealand. A very descriptive name. Um, so to start off with, could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yes, we have three main areas that we um, function for. We, we pretty much rescue everything except cats and dogs. So we realized that there were all these amazing organizations set up to help cats and dogs and everything else was slipping through the cracks. So we deliberately set up to do everything else. So our three key areas are, first of all, um, abandoned farm animals. So that could be everything from a donkey, miniature horse, a steer, um, pigs, cows, goats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the second one is orphaned and injured native birds. So we get a lot of babies brought into us and we raise them and prepare them for release or injured birds and we re- rehabilitate them. And our goal is always release back to the wild whenever possible. And the third area is battery hens. Um, we got into that kind of by accident. And um, since we started, we've rescued over 20,000 
hens and rehomed them. Right. So um, these hens, are they normally abandoned or are they rescued from, um, from factory farms? They are from factory farms, intensive farms. So primarily um, battery farms where the hens are kept in tiny cages and, you know, given no freedom of movement and live their lives. They're, they're very short time frame um, standing on chicken wire. And uh, we also now do rescue from free range farms as well, because what people don't realize is that all commercial laying hens are killed at 18 months, whether they're in a cage at a battery farm or whether they're on a, a, a barn farm or what a so-called free range farm, they all lay for one season. And when they go off lay for the first time, they are killed. So you're mostly dealing with farm animals. You mentioned that there's, you know, so many rescue shelters for, for cats and dogs. Um, but so there was kind of a gap, so to speak, in that sort of rescue area. What really motivated you to um, establishing a animal sanctuary? Um, well, you know, when you're a kid and you're good at art or you're good at sports or you're good at music, everyone considers that an innate talent. Um, but I also think that there's another innate talent, which is good with animals. And from the time I was a child, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't play with dolls. I played wild horses and I, um, you know, watched Dr. Doolittle and I, and I talked to the squirrels and the chipmunks in my backyard where I grew up in the country and in, in the United States. And um, that was my thing. And I assumed I would be, I didn't even know the word veterinarian. I assumed I'd be an animal doctor, um, you know. And then when I was older and started looking into that when I was in high school, um, I discovered what being a veterinarian really entailed. And with the way that I felt about animals, I, I didn't think I could do that. So I went down a different career, but I never felt fulfilled. I never felt that I was doing what I should be doing. So when I got older, after having had a corporate career, um, I decided that I would finally do what I really believed I was here on this earth to do, and that was to help animals. So we set up the animal sanctuary. So how, how many animals are, are in your care? It varies depending on when we're doing rescues, et cetera, et cetera. Over lockdown, ironically, over lockdown, when we had no volunteers and no international woofers, which are international volunteers that come and stay with us for weeks or months, um, it was just my husband and I. And ironically, at that time, we had more animals than we'd ever had before. We had over 400 animals here during lockdown with just the two of us feed and clean and water. Um, but it was great because we were never bored during lockdown. We were busy from morning to night. We were outside. We were with the animals and we had a real sense of purpose and it really worked. Yeah, that's a good problem to have during lockdown. Um, you know, never being bored. Was there kind of, did you see sort of a an influx, I guess, during that period? Um, there was, luckily we were deemed um, essential services under animal rescue. So we were able to still continue to rescue under very, very, very strict guidelines. Um, the real influx came actually after lockdown because people have been con contacting us since then saying, I've lost my job. I've been made redundant. We're losing our home. We're having to move into a rental. We can't keep our animals. Please, please, can you help? So it's actually, uh, I think during lockdown, people couldn't move. They didn't they didn't think they had any choices. But after lockdown, we've been getting a lot of contact from people needing help rehoming their animals due to some of the difficulties that they're now facing 
as a result of the economic downturn. Right. So would you say a lot of your animals come from uh, these types of situations where people have animals in their care and for whatever reason they don't have the means to look after them? Um, Is that quite common? It's very common. It wasn't what we set up to do. So we were really set up for abused, neglected, abandoned animals um, who were, you know, the only next choice was death. Um, But what's happened is as people find out about you, you become the first port of coal when they have a difficulty. So what grew was the number of people contacting us for, we're getting divorced and we're selling the home. We're both going to have to move to the city. What do we do with my animals? Death. Dad's died. Mom's gone into a nursing home. We're not going back to the farm. What do we do with the animals? Um, Domestic abuse, sadly. We get a lot of that where women call and they are staying because they are afraid that if they leave, their animals will be harmed or killed. And so they want to know if we can help rehome the animals so that they're free to move. Um, Occasionally people going overseas um, to live. Um, Yeah, but those we get we get a lot more of those calls than I ever, it, was, it wasn't even on our radar. So with some of those animals, what we try to do is ha- find a new home for them and they can go from their existing home to their new home without having to come here physically to the sanctuary. Some of those situations actually, like sounds heartbreaking and you, you, you're dealing with, I guess, the nature of human behavior and you know emotions and lives and things like that. Is it quite difficult? To be honest, it is. I mean, I haven't said this out loud and I haven't said it in public, but I mean, I enjoyed lockdown (laughs) because I was actually doing what I wanted to do, which was be with the animals and help the animals all the time. And what's happened is that more and more and more and more and more of my time is spent doing admin and finding homes and, you know, work on the on the pages trying to, you know, connect people and animals. And that wasn't what I actually set up to do. And I've actually been longing to find someone who could do the rehoming work. People say to me all the time, oh, I wish I could have a sanctuary someday when I have land and I want a sanctuary. Well, all this rehoming work, you don't need a sanctuary. You could do it from your kitchen table in a small apartment in the city because it's all online work and telephone work. So I would actually love to find one of those people to run a virtual sanctuary where they where they take on the, I have a, a kuni kuni pig and I need to find a new home. And then you post it and you interview and you you know check and you you connect the dots. I would like someone else to do that work, to be honest, because I like to work with the physical animals. I want to be out there picking up poo and and cleaning and brushing and feeding and bringing abused animals back to a place where they can trust and love again. That's what I want to be doing. It's understandable. Um, I mean, sometimes I prefer animals more than <laughs> more than certain people. But. I, I get it. I mean, I have to say, like, we do see the worst side of human nature because we, you know, are working with animals who've been hideously abused and neglected. And you think, how could any human do that? But I have to keep the perspective because then when I say, and we're looking for a home for this animal, amazingly wonderful people come forward and they help, they share the word, they donate blankets or they make a, a, a monetary donation so that we can pay the vet bill or, you know, so, I mean, I know that there are more good people out there, but it's true. The bad people get under your skin and eat at your soul. Some of the animals that you rescue include bobby calves. Can you tell me about where some of those bobby calves come from and, and why you, why you rescue them? Bobby calves are the unwanted four day old calves from dairy farms. 
Um, people assume they're all male, but they're not. They're female and male uh, on a dairy farm. Um, when the dairy cow gives birth, the baby's taken away right away. Um, and all males are killed, and most of the females are killed. The farmer might decide to keep 10% to replenish the herd, but most of them are considered um, waste, and they are sent to be killed. And so we don't do anything illegal. We've, we always rescue um, with the agreement of the farmer. So a particular dairy farmer agreed to um, let some of the calves, a tiny number, it was 32, but um be rescued and so uh through a variety of situations anyway they ended up coming here and um mm -hmm. it was one of the hardest things we've ever done and it was one of the best things that we've ever done i had never raised uh, a brand new four-day-old baby calf before and they are the most innocent sweet loving creatures and they are very much like puppies and they, um, of course, we bottle fed, so they quickly bonded to us. Um, you know, we had to take care of all their their diarrhea and the things that they get. And and um, they are like puppies. I would literally sit down and, and 30 calves would just jump on me and suck my chin and chew my hair and butt me and lay on my lap. And the joy is overwhelming and then when they got large enough to be able to go outside on a sunny day they'd romp around and i'd say babies and they'd all turn and just rush and mob me and and then we'd sit in the sun and they'd fall asleep with their heads on my lap and i had no idea i had i had no idea that they were such personable charming inquisitive loving creatures and um yeah it was really hard work especially with such a large number but the, literally one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Some of these bobby calves, there was three of them about two years ago that you had adopted out what you, what you understood was to their forever home, essentially. And they ended up going to a sales yard to be then sold on to um, to a slaughterhouse. You had an agreement with the, with the people that you adopted these out to um, that they would not be on on sold for slaughter. There was a no kill contract, um, which which they essentially ignored. And also a clause saying that if for any reason you cannot keep these animals, contact us and we will make the arrangements. That way we didn't have to worry about this kind of thing. So yes, everything was covered in the adoption agreement. So how did you how did you find out what had happened here and um, what did it really? Thankfully, you, you've been been able to rescue them, but. How did you find out and what did you need to do to, to get these, these boys back to safety? I got um, a notification um, that the calves had been moved. This, in New Zealand, when you have cows, they're all registered, they all have a number, and their movements are tracked. So when they go from one property to another, their movements are tracked. So I got an email just saying, you know, these three cows with these three steers with these numbers have been moved from this address to the two cow sale yards. And it was the evening and the sale yards were closed. And I just, I felt like an electric shock had gone through my body. I, 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 I couldn't contain myself. I was so worried. And I had, I was up all night worrying. And the first thing in the morning, um, a friend helped me and we got a hold of the, the sales agent from the yards and were told that they had already been sold. And 
thank goodness this agent was very, very kind because, of course, he couldn't tell us who had bought them because of Privacy Act and things like that. But he contacted the person and explained that the calves had been sold basically illegally. Um, the man didn't do anything wrong by buying them. He went to the sales. They were there. He bought them. Um, and that man was kind enough to let the agent give us his telephone number so that we could call him. And, um, you know, he said that we could buy them from him. He, he's a livestock agent himself, so he buys and sells. And he said, if you want them, you need to get them quite quickly because, um, you know, they, they will go quickly. And so we agreed a price and I ended up buying my three babies back. That, I mean... You're as speechless as I was. I am. I honestly am speechless. It's. Have you? Did you speak to the person who initially adopted these cows? I left. I left twelve phone messages for her. I texted and I emailed, and got no response. Um, eventually, the following day, I got a response, um, which the, the story changed three times over the course of the day, all in writing and email. Thank goodness. Um, and I repeatedly said, look, you know, this is the agreement. It said no slaughter, no kill, cannot be unsold. And if for any reason you can't keep them, you contact me. You didn't even try. Um, at which point she got aggressive. And so then we said, we'll put it in the hands of the lawyer. Um, so, yeah, no real excuse there. Um, we, we, we had a safety clause for them and it was simply disregarded. Uh, it, it's, it's great that this has got a happy ending. Um you started fundraising, obviously, to to to, to raise the funds to, to obviously buy these cars back. Um, and I mean, safe heard about the story and felt compelled to help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and much like yourself, we're not normally in um, you know in the business of of, of buying cars back from um, sale yards and things like that. That's right. But you know, when you hear about these things happen and the injustice of it all. Um, you, you, you know, you feel compelled to help, don't you? Yeah, I, I, it was amazing. I mean, the, the livestock agent who bought them, the first thing he said to me when I explained the situation was, I knew there was something different. He said, they're very gentle and very quiet. And I wondered. And he's, he repeated that again at, at an, another time. So, um, you know, you could tell that they had been raised with love. So, of course, I was beside myself, but I, I, I needed to to pay for them. I mean, if that was what I had to do, that was what I was going to do. The fact that it was wrong and I shouldn't have had to wasn't the important point. The important point was that the boys be safe. So I agreed to that. And then, you know, was trying to figure out how to raise some money to do that. And, um, oh, I'm going to start crying. I got a telephone call from Deborah Ashton, who's the CEO of SAFE. And she said that they had heard of the situation and that there had been a lot of negative publicity lately about horrible things being done to cows and that it was, you know, kind of heartbreaking and depressing. And they really wanted to be part of something that was hopeful and positive and uplifting and that that SAFE was offering to donate the money to buy the boys back. And as you can imagine, as I'm doing right now, I just cried and cried with relief. I was just... Ugh. 
it was just like a miracle to me. It was amazing. Sean, I think um, just before the interview started, I, I mentioned that I, I'd heard so much about you and it's because of the work that you do. And um, I mean, the, the, the fact that that sales yard, the man who worked there could tell that these there was something different about these cars because they had, um, they were so loved and had been so well cared for. And, and that really comes down to the work that you do. Um, those who are listening, um, who, who want to support the work that you do, um, how, how can they... Um, you know, contribute to the mission that, that you do? Oh, thank you. Um, well, have a look at our website. That There's a little video that shows some of the Animal Sanctuary and what we do. It's um, animalsanctuary.co.nz is our website. We also have a Facebook page, the Animal Sanctuary Metacana. And um, there's lots of ways that people can help. And sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's with goods. Sometimes it's with volunteers, um, skills that we don't have. Um, things like that. There's there's lots of ways. Um, and I have to tell you that, you know, because of this project, this particular situation, a lot of people did make a donation because we widened the project to be not just these three boys, but also three other pet steers who were in trouble and needed to be re- rescued and had treatment and be transported, et cetera, et cetera. And people have been incredibly supportive. And actually just their love and their wishes and their positive uplifting input to balance off the the negative has been just so rewarding you have been listening to animal matters this podcast is brought to you by safe for animals new zealand's leading animal rights organization and produced by myself will appleby make sure you subscribe to stay across animal matters on whatever your favorite platform is if you're listening to apple please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. If you want to support the show, please head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Until next time, kakite anoa.